welcome to mind the resilience the podcast where we explore the vital strategies and insights that drive success and continuity in today's ever changing landscape i am your host ramki and in this episode we are joined by a true expert in the field of resilience james green co-founder of illuminate advisory with a passion for safeguarding businesses against unforeseen challenges james has helped countless clients future proof their assets and navigate the complexities of resiliency In our conversation today we will delve into the key elements of a successful business continuity program and uncover how cybersecurity and risk management collaboratively protect valuable assets while mitigating potential risks. James will also share his invaluable insights on the latest trend in cybersecurity and risk management gained from delivering keynote addresses at conferences worldwide. We'll also explore the challenges faced by the organizations in the realm of business continuity and James will provide essential advice for businesses looking to enhance their BCP practices. Stay tuned for an enlightening discussion on resilience where we will uncover strategies to fortify your organization and prepare for whatever lies ahead. Hello and welcome to Mind the Resilience podcast. Finally, I have the man of the moment. James Green. James, how are you? I'm doing uh, very well. Thank you for having me on the show. I know we've had a lot of ups and downs just to get to this point, but I'm very excited to, to spend some time with you today chatting. Okay. James, um, it's an honor. You are a very well-known uh, figure in the resilience industry. Thank you so much for accepting my invite and uh, being in my show. Before we start, our conversations would you like to introduce yourself about you how you got in, involved in the resilience industry in the beginning and um, after that if you can also give some background about uh, your hobbies your interest anything interesting you wanted to share if you want to please let let my audience know please go ahead yeah absolutely thank you so like a lot of your listeners i fell into this profession. Uh, many years ago, I received a phone call from a friend of mine and he said, hey, I, I've been working with this company. They've gone through four business continuity people in four years. They're looking for someone way outside the box. And I said, well, I'm your person because I don't even know what business continuity is. And I interviewed with that company and relocated to take that job. It was during the Great Recession. And I was so confident uh, that I wasn't going to last long, that I had a month-to-month lease mm. on an apartment. And now 15 years later, here I am. Uh, so currently the co-founder of Illuminate Advisory. We are a boutique risk consulting firm, also a co-founder, uh, one of the global co-founders of the Resilience Think Tank. Okay. Um, some things about me, I'm based in uh, Florida in the Southeast United States. I have uh, two t- teenage sons, 17 and 18 year old, and uh, hobbies right now, a huge fan of tennis. Perfect, perfect. Thank you so much um, for your introduction, James. Um, I want to spend some time um, about your Illuminate Advisory Consultancy that you have uh, been running, right? So I want to ask you, like, as a co-founder of Illuminate Advisory, what are some of the key services that you provide to your clients and how do you help them out um, in their in their journey on on their resilience? And uh, also, if you can speak about what are the specific services that does you know Illuminate Advisory offer to its client, and um, 
how how do you assist assist the clients in identifying the risk vulnerability in their you know whatever journey that they have can you elaborate more on your services yeah of course so i think two of our most popular services right now uh first we create relevant and actionable gap assessments of organizations for their business continuity their enterprise risk and resilience programs uh, a lot of organizations want to know where they are maybe in relation to a standard or more importantly where they are in relation to their peers uh another product that's very popular right now we build program ro- roadmaps mm-hmm. so these help an organization show them where they should get to in the next 12 uh months and it's not mm-hmm. just assuming you need to be a 5 out of 5 uh you know you need to be bulletproof every organization shouldn't be a 5 out of 5 there's diminishing returns or maybe there's certain aspects of your organization that do need to be a 5 out of 5 in terms of True. resilience but some of them need to be a 1 out of 5 uh we try to build all our products i spent 10 years as a practitioner i've led global programs i've led programs in financial services mm-hmm. before i went to the dark side of consulting so i just you know me and the team we always try to remember sitting on the other side of that table mm-hmm. how how can we help and a lot of times it's just you know putting the spotlight on the program mm-hmm. putting the spotlight on the people who are working that program and helping management see how critical these people and programs are mm-hmm. to the organization's success right so if i understand correctly james it's not only about the resilience program right i mean any anything uh, that the client is looking forward to um you advise them on their journey path is that the right statement that you are providing yeah absolutely and we keep in mind that resilience means very different things to very different organizations i think that's one of the problems or challenges we see in our profession you build a program and you go to another company another organization and you try mm-hmm. to build the exact same program but mm-hmm. a hospital has very different needs than a restaurant chain what they consider right. resilience is very different so we need to be flexible based on that true environment exactly that's that's a very interesting uh, advisory i would say that you are providing to the customers well done okay um i also wanted something to discuss with you with your experiences uh, james what are all some of the biggest challenges that the organizations are facing today when it comes to business continuity and disaster recovery programs um i also wanted to ask you like how can organizations overcome resistance in investing to a robust bcp practices you have been an advisor right i mean you have been doing advisory to the consultants uh, uh, to, the, to the organizations what steps can organizations take to enhance their business continuity and uh, disaster recovery programs uh, from your perspective Yeah so two challenges that i see a lot of the first is that their plans and programs mm-hmm. are not actionable so you know i see a lot of organizations plans and programs and they're beautiful and they have mm-hmm. the most intricate flow charts and heat maps and you know colors of the rainbow and three ring binders but when an emergency actually happens can you act them and i think a lot mm. of companies found out the hard way during covid uh were we prepared was anyone prepared for a three year 
global pandemic? No, certainly not. Did we expect anyone to have plans for that? No, certainly not. But a lot of organizations said, hey, there was nothing that we could use in our program. None of it was actionable. Mm. Uh, That's one of the biggest pain points. The second that we're seeing more and more of is that programs are too narrow in focus. Uh, Mm. Some of these more complex organizations, they have a BC program. They have a disaster recovery program. They have a crisis management program. They have Mm. a cybersecurity program. They have a vendor risk program. And management is telling me, hey, I don't have time to sit on five committees. Mm. And when there's a true incident, I can't pull five committees together. I need to have much broader focus, much broader perspective. Um, And so to answer your second question, I think, you know, the two ways that we get stakeholder buy-in, we get Mm. management buy-in is first, are we meeting their needs? So like, again, if management is telling you, I don't have time for five different committees and committee meetings every week, are you adjusting your program to meet their needs? And does your program support the mission and value of the organization? I find it interesting a lot of times when I sit down with our colleagues and I say, what do they do? And they start telling me about their BIAs or their plans or their mass notification. I'm like, no, no. What does your organization do? Are you a nonprofit hospital? Are you a for-profit retail? You need to build your program with that as your focus and your program Mm -hmm. needs to fold mm. into the the mission. And when that happens, mm. I think management sees the program as more valuable mm. and gives it more time and attention and allows it to grow. Yeah. To summarize whatever you have said, James, um, is that a lot of the teams are working in silos, right? Like the risk management, uh, the business continuity team, the IT recovery team, or uh, you know uh, any other uh, team, cybersecurity team. What we are seeing is they have to work together. Uh, it's never important like that we have now where um, the the true essence of having a holistic business continuity program in place is to have different departments working together rather than working in silos. And often we also see, just to add whatever you have said, James, is that often we also see that the same type of resiliency implementation is across being implemented for different different sectors or different different organizations which is again a mistake you'll have to go and find out which is the right approach for that particular sector and then go mm-hmm. ahead and then you know implement those solutions i hope this is what you meant you, you you're trying to say you know are some of the challenges that the organizations that are failing to implement uh, in a right way right uh, james yeah absolutely as an example i work with uh, a company that predominantly uh, their their revenue driver is life insurance policies. Mm. So when uh, a beneficiary of one of those policies wants to enact that policy, the company has 45 days to respond. So their business continuity and resilience program mm. factors in that their customers don't know that there's a disruption for 45 days. True. So they have a much longer lead time to get things back in order mm. where, again, if you and I run it, um, a third-party uh, co-located data center, mm. we have seconds before yes. our customers know. And in a minute, we're out of business. Mm. So you need to build those programs very 
differently and the resources that you invest need to be very mm. different as well. True. Exactly. Identify what the need and then go and build a build the business continuity program, not you know, just take out of whatever you have learned and apply it. It comes with experience. It comes with analysis and then go ahead and then give a holistic, uh, you know, that's why I think the advisory plays a major role here, right, James? So I think uh, it's very important that people understand and go and work in different uh, sectors and get their knowledge out and then so that they can do a good business continuity program to their customers. Good. Okay. Um, on the similar lines, James, I want to also ask you about the key elements of a successful business continuity program. How do you ensure that it is effective in the event of a crisis? And I, and I just wanted to ask you, how can organization, organizations test and validate the effectiveness of their BCP programs? And what role does an employee training and awareness play according to you in ensuring a, you know, a, a successful uh, program for business continuity? Yeah, so I think the first part of that we we've talked about a little bit. Does it align? Mm-hmm. Does your program align with the needs of the business? But the second part of that that is often doesn't happen. Do you have management buy-in? Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of times we get brought in when management is dissatisfied with uh, the a program, and so mm-hmm. the first thing we ask is, did you get management buy-in up front? And a lot of times the answer is no. I think very clearly when you're building or growing your program, the first thing should be sit down with your stakeholders and say, hey, these are the four things we're looking to achieve. Mm. Do you agree yes or no? And Mm. give them the option then to answer that question. Then you build your your program based on that agreement. Uh, Mm. uh, Another struggle we're seeing a lot of times now is the business changes or the market changes mm-hmm. and your program doesn't change. So uh, as you know, a lot of organizations right now um, mm-hmm. are still working from home. Uh, a lot of organizations plan to work from home forever, mm-hmm. but I see a lot of business continuity programs still focused and built that everyone mm-hmm. is in the office. Your business has mm-hmm. radically changed. Your program yeah. has radically changed. Or I work with uh, a restaurant chain here in the mm-hmm. United States, they've gone from 10% of their business uh, is is to go or take away or take out, depending on where you are in the world, to now 60% of the business. That's mm-hmm. a massive change in the business. Your risk have incredibly changed as well. So I think we have an opportunity there continually assessing what's our organization doing? Has our organization changed focus or goals, our program? needs to change. And then we need to be analyzing, and this is really hard, what's Mm. our return on investment? Do we showcase to management, here's how we've mitigated some risk, or here's Mm. some things we've done to benefit the organization? That's really difficult, but I think Mm. uh, we need to do a better job of um, sharing our successes with Mm. the organization. And you asked about, you know, how do Mm. we you know, get buy-in or how do yeah. we show value with employees? I think you have an opportunity when we, when you meet with those department heads and you're doing BIAs or plans or risk assessments, whatever you're doing, hmm. you just stop and ask them like, hey, what, what are you guys working on now? What's your team working on now? What keeps you up at night? Um, and we as business continuity and resilience professionals know 
a lot about a lot of different departments. Do we Correct. share that knowledge yes. with different department heads? I think we have uh, an incredible opportunity to show value mm-hmm. by saying, oh, you know, I just met with the accounting department and mm-hmm. they said they're looking to implement this new system. You should mm-hmm. talk to them. Like we, we don't do a good enough job sharing information across mm-hmm. uh, the silos in our, in our whole. Yeah, exactly. You know what, James? Um, I speak to a lot of people uh, you know, after I started working on this uh, you know, journey on my podcasting. Um, I, I speak to a number of uh, you know, uh, people who have been in the business for a long time. I hear the same story you know, played out day in and day out. They work in silos. The common mm-hmm. challenges is actually not bringing the people together and then working together to have a holistic program. These issues, I think it, it goes be even beyond the resiliency industry as well, right? I mean, if you're right. not working, if you're, if, if you're not bringing in the synergies of different departments, I think you are missing on a very key propositions that can build a lot of value to the organization, right? It's very important to understand that and then, you know, uh, build a program around it and ensure that all the parties are onboarded in a, Maybe a technology can play a role like, you know, uh, I, I'm also thinking about like how can uh, technology or like an application or something like that where everybody can pitch in their information, whatever they have gathered in a, in, a, uh, in a centralized way so that, you know, we can all consume and have, you know, build our BCB program or a risk management program or a cybersecurity program in a very, uh, you know, to take to that next level. That is one of the options that we are looking at. I mean, but... I request everyone also, you know, to look into those angles and whomsoever is listening, it's to build the synergies across the teams and then, you know, come up with those uh, ideas and innovations. Thank you, James, for those. Yeah, yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, So let's move on. I also wanted to talk to you, James, on the cybersecurity, right? how can cybersecurity and risk management work together to protect assets and mitigate risk? Um, I just wanted to explain more on what is my question is like, what are all the potential risks and vulnerabilities that organizations should consider from a cybersecurity standpoint, uh, from your perspective? And according to you, what are the best practices for integrating a cybersecurity into the uh, risk management efforts? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. So again, the most common thing we see is cybersecurity and risk management operate in silos. So cybersecurity often rolls up to the CISO, your risk management functions roll up to maybe your chief risk officer, and they intersect at the CEO. And Mm -hmm. that's a huge problem because as we become more interconnected Mm -hmm. uh, as organizations, cybersecurity events become business continuity events very quickly. So if we're hit with ransomware and all of our desktops and laptops and tablets and phones become bricks, Mm -hmm. that's now a business continuity issue. And I think a lot of companies have their cybersecurity playbooks and they have their business continuity response and they Mm -hmm. never get into a room and talk about how much those things Mm -hmm. bleed to each other. Uh, mm-hmm. I was working with a, a company a few months ago and we had the cyber team and the risk team mm-hmm. in a conference room. We actually weren't on Zoom. We were in person yeah. like the olden days. And uh, I said, have you all ever met each other? And they mm-hmm. said, no. no. 
And that's that's a huge problem. If the first time you're being brought together mm-hmm. is a joint cyber BC exercise run by a consultant, uh, mm-hmm. that that's a big problem. So you mm-hmm. have these natural um, turf turf wars where like I I own cyber and you own BC mm-hmm. and this is my little fiefdom and these are my yeah. resources. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a, it's really got to be driven from the top. The organizations that I've seen are most successful blending this is where the CEO or the COO says, look, these are enterprise level risk. A cyber event becomes a BC event. We're often seeing BC events become cyber events because your organization's in the news for having a fire or disruption. They know your risk resources are focused over here. And Mm -hmm. that's often when we see people trying to hack or infiltrate your mm. your website. So, you know, mm. we really need to see, I would love to see those teams, those mm. response teams kind of fold together where yeah. you have enterprise level crisis management. Maybe your team is working on the technical response from IT. My team is mm. working on uh, the facility level response if it's a business issue, but it's mm. managed by the same group mm. um, at the top. And I really think as, as cyber events become more prolific, as mm-hmm. weather events become more prolific, we're, you know, right now where I live, we have record setting high temperatures. Mm-hmm. These things are going from anomalies to frequent occurrences mm-hmm. in both areas. And we've got to be able to manage them mm-hmm. um, both as concurrent events. Yeah. Um, James, I just want to pose you a question. Um do you think that the current standards that we have, right, um, like the ISO 22301 or the other ISO standards or any standards, do you think that are they up to the level of the issues that we are facing with respect to the cybersecurity? Because why I'm asking this question is that um, when you have a standards in place, right, that's where people tend to go and know about those informations. How can I... Uh, you know, respond or how can I build my plans? What, from my personal opinion, is that we don't have a link between the cybersecurity and the BCM programs at a standard level where uh, an individual can go and then learn about it and do it. Maybe that's because the cybersecurity is, uh, is, is so new to the industry and, you know, we are now still finding it out what needs to be done. Do you think that we need to do more uh, about inculcating the cyber part of it into our standards? And what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I have two thoughts there. So my first thought is standards and regulations tend to come out to mitigate the last known risk. So <laughs> as an example, you have a lot of governments around the world right now that are considering enhanced pandemic regulations mm. because of covid uh, in the, in the early part, you know, 2001, 2002, as as WorldCom and Enron melted down, the United mm-hmm. States passed the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. A lot of uh, governments passed acts based on those things in the past. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the first challenge is always going to be these regulations and standards more often than not mitigate the last known risk. And then the second one, to your point, yeah, they're building NIST. They're building like ISO 22301. These are separate 
uh, mm. standards. So there's an ISO standard now for crisis management. There's an ISO standard for business continuity. There's all these mm. standards for cyber. But again, they're in uh, they're in silos. Mm. And I think that's where um, the operational resilience standard in you know that mm. came from the Bank of England in the UK is yeah. attempting to address a more holistic. Correct. Let's look at the organization's ability to not only, you know, mm. to thrive mm. during during an incident. Yeah, but just to again ask you, do you think we need to do more in 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 these standards? Uh, is that your thought as well? Like uh, today, we don't have uh, uh, a cyber response standard. Or, or see uh, what I'm trying to probe you uh, here, James, is that like if I have, if I want to build a BC program for an organization, like right, I have to follow a certain set of processes, and you know I can go. Ahead. If I wanted to do an IT recovery, right? I mean I have the programs and plans in place. Cyber is so unique, right? Both your data centers are going to get affected, and and you know uh, it's it's a completely different beast altogether. Is a standard up to the mark? uh that we are having or we are exposed to or, or is is the community has to come in again and then sit and then work on improving these cybersecurity standards up to the level of whatever we are having the maturity in business continuity and disaster recovery yeah the cybersecurity standards are not up to the mark uh, mm. and i think two reasons for that the cybersecurity threats yes. are changing faster than people yeah. can update standards and they're extremely unique in terms of the threat actors you have mm. organized crime rings you have state sponsored crime mm. rings it's going to be very difficult to come up with a standard mm. you know it's not the same as like a fire suppression or yeah. something that's that's black and white cyber is much more fluid and it's evolving so quickly that by the time a standard gets out mm it's probably already dated <laughs> exactly sure okay um james i'm going to ask you a different question um you have delivered number of keynote addresses on cybersecurity conferences across the globe right um can you share your insights on the latest trends in cybersecurity and risk management how are technologies um such as artificial intelligence machine learning impacting cybersecurity according to you any notable case studies that you have seen or demonstrated that you wanted to share with my audience on 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 these uh, from your experiences attending lot number of uh, conferences across the globe yeah so the first caveat even though i have keynoted at cybersecurity conferences i am not a cybersecurity expert nor do i pretend to be i know just enough uh to get myself in trouble but a couple of things that we've seen really stand out recently the first is cybersecurity is so much top of mind with management with boards of directors in the public eye that i think it threatens to consume all of an organization's time attention resource and budget mm. for risk management we're seeing a lot of companies build up their cybersecurity programs and methodologies and defenses which is fantastic but unfortunately some of those organizations are taking resources away mm. from other aspects of risk management and it shouldn't be a zero sum game you should be adding to cyber because it's new 
but then also keeping or adding to all the other aspects of of risk management. And I think you're going to see some more companies overcorrect and then uh, get tripped up by something that they wouldn't have gotten tripped up by mm. a few years ago. Mm. Uh, the one philosophical argument that I'm seeing a lot behind closed doors comes around ransomware. Mm. So publicly, every government, every law enforcement agency will tell you publicly, do not pay ransomware under any circumstances. But we know people are paying yes. ransomware because ransomware keeps getting more sophisticated. Correct. This is a financial transaction for these threat actors. And if they weren't making money off it, mm. they'd stop doing it. It's just like people always say, well, how come spam email keeps going out? Because one person out of a thousand clicks on that link Absolutely. and they're making money from that. So I think there's the ideal of never pay ransomware, but companies need to discuss, should we pay ransomware? Mm. And I know it's it's a very volatile topic and people get upset and they should because you're being held hostage. Correct. Your company's being held hostage. This is an emotional and visceral reaction. Do you want to pay this? Of mm. course not. I don't want to pay that. Uh, those people can go fly a kite. But the reality is you've got to be more nuanced. Mm. If you're the CEO of an organization and your most critical system is encrypted by a third party and you can't crack it and you can't unwind it, you're honestly telling me that you're going to shut your business down. Mm. No, you're not. You're going to pay ransom. Absolutely. And I know that's distasteful and I know that's offensive, but the biggest thing that we see right now is just trying to get boards and management teams to have honest conversations about what would we really, you're really going to close your doors. You're going to go out of business as opposed to not pay this. Uh, mm. And I think, you know, the, the AI and machine learning, it's just mm. becoming an arms race. The more sophisticated the vendors come up with tools to mm. protect us, mm. the more sophisticated these threat actors mm. are. And again, you know, the biggest risk remains people. Yeah. Uh, nine times out of, so you look at, there was, uh, I can't remember, I won't say the organization's name because I can't remember exactly who they were. But the way ransomware happened, they physically followed uh, a high management professional from IT to their house, scanned wow. their family's Wi-Fi network, hmm. found a vulnerable tablet from the person's child, backdoored in from the child's tablet to the entire Wi-Fi network to the person's secured laptop and waited until they connected back to their work network. Oh. What is your cyber defense plan for making sure not only do your employees have, uh, you know, follow your policies and have encrypted, but their entire families or that you're physically being followed? There's, there's no answer right now for that. But I think that's where that education, those training and awareness sessions come from, because quite often, again, it starts with an employee clicking on a link. It starts yeah. with an employee, you know, a spoof or a phishing, or we can have the most robust defenses in the world. Mm -hmm. But if we leave the door unlocked, mm -hmm. we allow people 
to walk in. And that's where AI and machine learning can't overcome human tendencies. And that's going to be a really interesting uh, battle watch, you know, continue to watch unfold. Mm, well said. Good points, James. Okay. Um, I also wanted to discuss with you, James, on the global, uh, your work on as a global subject matter expert for business continuity planning, workplace violence, and the pandemic response, right? Um, I wanted to touch about, uh, touch upon like, can you provide me some examples in this space? How do you go about? Because I know business continuity, but workplace violence is something like new. And uh, how do you go about doing it? It's something new. I think for many of my audiences would like to hear from you. Pandemic response, like from you, how did you manage it? And uh, how did you come out of it? Any 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 thoughts on that? And as a as a thought leadership, right, in these areas, what is that the organizations gain as an advantage, you know, to enhance their reputations if they wanted to, you know, come out of these issues. What is your thoughts on that? Yeah, so let, let's start with uh, COVID and, and the pandemic. I was, yeah. I guess, fortunate to be aware of it very early on mm-hmm. and not because I was so smart or insightful. Uh, I happen to have a client who uh, was in Wuhan manufacturing client and they 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 let us know hey there's something going on here and what the media is saying what the what the chinese media is is saying is not lining up with what we're seeing on the ground Mm. they also had uh some manufacturing facilities in 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 northern italy where things first popped up in europe Mm. and uh doing some analysis with them we were just like this is something I'd never seen anything like this. And this is, this is problematic. So I was on the front end of the wave, not again, not because of my intelligence or thoughtfulness, uh, just fortunate working Mm. with Mm. uh, clients who unfortunately were impacted immediately. My big takeaway from that was trying to educate people that the world was changing in real time. Uh, I was working with a large retail chain based in mm. North America in early March, first week of March, last week of February. And they're like, okay, well, we have our plans enacted. All of our office staff, they're going to work from home if needed. We're good to go. And I said, well, what about your retail stores? <laughs> uh, and this person actually said to me, um, I'll never forget this. They said, are you an idiot? And I was <laughs> hoping that was a trick question or a rhetorical question and the room just went silent and i Mm. said no i don't i don't believe so and this person said we will never ever close our stores and a week later they had to the whole country (laughs) the whole world shut down so one big takeaway i saw from covid was the world was radically changing Mm. uh and and a lot of people were in denial about it and they caused themselves pain points so again that that retail chain when they found out uh, in this one of the states they were in they had you know three hours to close they had to radically radically make changes or you know we saw that the border in india like we got that announcement we all got the hey the border's closing in x hours and there were companies who were prepared for that and companies who were not um 
Another risk that you mentioned that is is interesting and, and is unfortunately very prevalent in the United States is workplace violence. Okay. We do here have obviously a higher propensity of workplace violence than any other country in the world. And what happened during COVID, as a lot of offices and people worked from home, mm-hmm. those rates of violence went way down. Correct. And so like we talked about earlier with cyber and forgetting everything else on risk, people were so focused about COVID. They're like, oh, this mm. isn't a risk anymore. We mm. don't even have to think about this. We don't have to train about this. We don't have to be mm. aware of this. Mm-hmm. And then when you add waves of people come back to offices mm. or return to normal, I don't even know what normal <laughs> means anywhere. Uh, those instances of workplace violence spiked. And they went way up and these organizations weren't prepared. And unfortunately, you are starting to see workplace violence more frequently Mm -hmm. in other countries. It's still rare, Mm -hmm. but it's gone from never or improbable or maybe maybe it's gone from impossible to Mm -hmm. improbable. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're you're just just seeing, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. you're seeing more of it. So organizations need to be aware that these things are happening around Mm. the world. You may have employees Mm. um, around the world. And Mm. just to ignore these risks, just like people ignored, some organizations ignored COVID at the beginning. Some organizations in the United States ignored workplace violence in 2014-15. Ignoring risk is not one of the strategies to mitigate risk. You can't just ignore it. They're going to grow. We've seen... We've seen more acts of violence in the UK. We've seen acts of violence, not political violence, mm. but workplace violence start to pop up. Mm. And I think organizations, you know, first and foremost is the life safety of your employees. And right. that that needs to always be top of mind. Yeah. Uh, just to add on top of that, James, uh, mental well-being, healthness is also have to be the priority. And I think after the COVID <clears throat> It has shot up a lot. I see a lot of people struggling with uh, mental well-being, and um, you know, it's one of the topics that has been ignored in many of the uh, in industries and organizations as well. It's very important. The focus is being again given, um, uh, you know, uh, in those space, and then try to have uh, provide the necessary help that the employees may require is very important uh, in this current world. Okay, uh, so James, I have come to the last section, which is uh, quite unique and um, interesting. It's called as the resilience quick fire. Um, I asked certain okay. questions to you. Um, you can give me uh, and your instantaneous answer. Is it okay? All right. Well, okay. So this is the part I'm most excited about and also nervous. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Um, one essential skill every crisis manager should possess is uh, emotional intelligence. Mm, okay, good one. In one word, describe the key attribute of a resilient organization. I, I'm probably I probably can't say resilient. That's probably cheating. Yeah, yeah, you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I would say discipline. I would say they're disciplined. 
okay discipline in uh you have to be disciplined in your resolve you have to be disciplined in that resilience is a journey yeah. and not a okay. point in time you have to get your whole team mm. focused and in the right right mm. direction that takes a lot of discipline okay understood okay um next one what emerging trend in the field of business continuity management that excites you the most wow i don't know um tick 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 tick, tick. <laughs> <laughs> i would think you know that i would think the the globalization of okay. our profession when i when i started i mostly interacted with people in the united states Mm -hmm. and i've spent more time interacting with people around the world and, and that like i think that just makes our profession stronger mm. okay good next one rapid response or thorough planning which do you consider more crucial in crisis management rapid response time is of the essence when i train crisis management teams mm. it's all about how fast can you get together how mm. fast can you make decisions and how fast can you communicate those decisions mm yeah exactly okay share one valuable lesson you learned from a crisis or a disruptive incident you have managed uh i learned that very thorough playbooks do nothing when the scenario is unexpected so early on in my career uh, i worked with an organization we had a site in cairo Mm -hmm. and when the egyptian government fell during mm -hmm. arab spring there was no playbook for that there was no we had to that's mm -hmm. where we really focused on that rapid response and the quality of the team and it kind of changed my philosophy about our profession superb okay okay the last one to you james if you had to give one piece of advice to organizations starting their business continuity journey what would it be uh it would be small quick wins too many yes. programs when they start they say hey here's where we want to be in 18 months hmm. but everyone loves a winner everyone loves momentum so i would have that program where do you want to be in 45 days even if that's small get those small wins build on that and uh, run with the momentum excellent answers from an excellent person james uh truly a honor having you here with me james after so much of technical difficulties that we have encountered it's a true resilient journey that we have taken up and uh, i would say that it's it's amazing talking to you and i can see why you are so valuable to the resiliency industry that everyone is so uh, you know uh, wanted to have the conversations with you uh, thank you so much james before i end my show I wanted to ask you if someone wants to get in touch with you what is the best medium to do it and how can they do it Yeah so I'm on every social media platform as the James Green and uh, our website is illuminateadvisory.com Okay okay I'm going to put your contact details in my show notes so that people can refer and take this conversations forward and have these absolute amazing informations that you can let everyone know on the resiliency industry thanks for whatever you're doing uh, to the community james it's been a pleasure having you see you then bye bye